Would you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy chapter 4? We'll start in verse 44 and we're going to go all the way through chapter 5 and verse 6, which really isn't that many verses really. How to think about the law. Now we're, we've seen the, the ending of Moses' first address to Israel and we're going to get into the beginning of his second address, which is the longest of the three. As a matter of fact, it covers most of the book of Deuteronomy, really. Um, and that, uh, that begins, we get into the introduction of it tonight. How to think about the law. It's an interesting perspective when one thinks of how in the era of the Old Testament, well, New Testament, maybe probably even today, Pagans, they thought, could see their gods, images, rocks, or wood, or painting, whatever. That's, that's, that is something that uh, Israel didn't practice. They, they were forbidden from that, their commandments. They were forbidden from having graven images. They, how can you see God? You can't, you can't see God unless he chooses to reveal himself. You can't invent something and say, this is God. This is how God is. So obviously, idolatry the tr- uh, brought all kinds of troubles. Graven images, we're studying that as well on Wednesday nights. We can see it today in the history of The nation of Israel, how they suffered through centuries because the end of their time before they've begun trickling back in modern era to to Israel and a nation was created. For hundreds and hundreds of years, there was no nation of Israel. And it it was very plain. We've seen it in Jeremiah. We saw it in Ezekiel. We've seen it in all of them. When we studied it, how... They were told that they were okay if they didn't worship other gods and um, maintained their worship of the true and living God. But when they slipped into idolatry, their nation started falling apart. Now, this is just the beginning of it here. They're not, they're, Moses is about to die and then. He's giving his final three addresses to the people, very important. And much of Deuteronomy in this second part, uh, well, even when we get to the third part, his third lecture, there, there is this twofold address, one with blessing and one with cursing, or curses, I guess I should say. The blessing that the people would enjoy being obedient to Yahweh, maintaining true and pure worship, and being in the land that it is their land, and the land will be blessed, and they'll be blessed in the land. But if they get away from that, the deal's off. That's a, that's a conditional promise in the sense that you'll be removed from the land, and then the promise comes, you'll come back after a, a long while. And the prophets teach us that uh, at the end of days, the, the uh, persecution of Israel, the Jews, 
Israel is so terrible that they have nowhere to go. But Yahweh, in this recent war that is still going on, this Hamas war, it's interesting how there are probably, I guess, four local Israeli TV stations that I follow on YouTube, and I, I listen to all of them, and they have their, much like our newscasts, they have, they have their uh, people in the field, their reporters in the field, and they're reporting in real time on what's happening. And then they'll bring in some former military guy or some former government official. And uh, he's there to make commentary and to discuss what, what, what all of this means and, and then the likelihood of this or what a possibility is there. Uh, and it's, it's an interesting take on, on the people there. But I've noted that uh, when, all, when, when suddenly they were invaded by Hamas, at that point in time, most of Israel was not particularly religious, I guess you'd say. They, they, they saw themselves as an ethnic group and they had a history and a culture, but... Uh, Especially the younger generation, they, they didn't pay that much attention to the law. Then I saw an interview on one of those TV channels. I can't remember which one it was. And it was a young man, probably early 20s, maybe. Uh, and he was speaking in English. He was being interviewed. He spoke very good English. And uh, in the course of the interview, he just broke down and started weeping and crying and admitting that, uh, that faith had never been anything to him that was important, uh, but noting that people all over the world are tar targeting Jews just because they're Jews. And he, he made the testimony in the interview as he began to break down and weep that uh, he and his generation and, and people in Israel needed to turn back uh, to their God and to their Torah, their law, and they needed to straighten themselves up before God because their only help would come from God. Well, that's interesting because they're about to enter the land here, but we have been studying on Wednesday nights how they're being, how they're being in their collapse under sin uh, they're becoming weakened. And then finally, we only have a couple of chapters left on the Wednesday night study in Chronicles and in Kings. And then we'll be through with Chronicles and Kings. And it ends with, uh, with the demise of the southern kingdom of Judah. We have already seen the defeat of the northern kingdom. There is no northern kingdom of Israel. By the time you get to where we are in our study on Wednesday night, there's only Judah, and then Judah is not far, pages-wise. I mean, there's still a, a, few, a couple of decades away, but as far as pages in the Bible, they're not that far away from being defeated and carried off into slavery. 
and the land will not belong to them in the eyes of the nations for hundreds of years. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see what that young man said in his weeping because Zechariah, although the young man is not acknowledging Christian faith, he's acknowledging Judaism is what he's acknowledging. But it becomes so intense and the time of the, of the uh, persecution of the, of the Jews will be so severe that their very, their very existence is directly threatened because of the Antichrist. And the people who are left, Jerusalem and in and around Jerusalem, the Jews, Zechariah points out that they begin to cry and repent and they look upon the one whom they pierced. That's in Zechariah. Now, implication being that you know, while they may have attempted to worship their God through all of that time, it, the, the God of heaven doesn't acknowledge it until they look upon the one whom they have pierced. And that's the true salvation that they, uh, that they find. Now, let's go back to this. Here's how this is germane to that. Moses, well, Yahweh inspiring Moses in these three speeches is telling the people what brief history they have from Exodus, uh, from Egypt in the book of Exodus, what brief history they have as a, as a people separated and noted as a nation. They were just a bunch of slaves, although they, were, they, they stayed as the people, as Hebrews. They called them Hebrews in Egypt. So they weren't mixed with other nations but when they come out, they're really seen as a nation. And of course, Moses puts them together as a nation under the divinely inspired guidance and, and uh, authority that Yahweh gave him. And the law is given and the law is the law for Israel. And that's their constitution. You know, that's what that's what they're all bound to. And uh, it has its good part. If you're obedient to it, it has its bad part. If you're not obedient to it. This is what he's trying to prepare them for. You and I have the privilege of sitting at the close, I think, to the end of the age. And Israel is a nation again. Uh, And we're seeing a precursor in the world against Jews, which is just uh, mild compared to what it will become in the time of the tribulation. So we're, we're studying the beginning here. We've We've looked at how they disappeared as a nation uh, in, in our Wednesday night study. The, the prophets tell how they will finally come back together. And the tribulation is the 70th seven-year seven period determined for Israel that has yet to transpire. Uh, so, you know, it's, it can't be that far away when you consider all of the, to me anyway, uh, consider all the things that are happening in the world. So that makes it all the more interesting when we go back and see how it all started, how they were about to go across. These guys had never, except for the, except for Joshua and Caleb, they had never been on that side of the Jordan. They have no idea what Canaan is like. 
They can see it from where they are and they're beginning to experience the loveliness of it because on Transjordan, you may recall, three of the tribes are granted land there. Uh, and so it's beginning to look like the plush land that it is, especially in the land of Canaan. So the, the, there's, there's no, the, after, after the three lectures, the three speeches of Moses in Deuteronomy, there's, they have no excuse, really. Moses causes them, causes them to acknowledge the reality of Yahweh and his power because they their, their fathers experienced it. Some of them as children experienced it. And then they will experience it even more as they go across and begin to fight the battles under Joshua. So they, they acknowledge that this is a new generation and they are ready to commit themselves to Yahweh. They're ready to commit themselves uh, seriously to the covenant relationship that exists between Yahweh and uh, Israel. So they get, this, they get this perfect beginning. And now this part of Deuteronomy moves into the, moves into the, the beginning of the second uh, speech of Moses. How to think about the law. So here's the introduction to Moses' second address we start with verse 44. And this is the teaching which Moses set before the sons of Israel. Okay, it's very clear here in the scripture that his speeches aren't just sermons. They're instructions. These are, these are sent from heaven while Moses is still alive and the revered leader of Israel he won't make it. He's going to die. But while he is still alive and still acknowledged as their leader, the last of the instructions through Moses, the lawgiver, is given. And so this is teaching. This is a teaching. This isn't just a pep rally. This is something to give them instruction. And this is the teaching which Moses set before the sons of Israel. And then the, the, the terms in the Hebrew text that's, that's all inclusive of the Torah, the law, testimonies, statutes, ordinances, which Moses spoke to the sons of Israel when they went out of Egypt. While Israel is forbidden from ever claiming that they see God, Graven images, idols. While, while that is absolutely forbidden in their law, the great relationship that exists is one of hearing their God, our God, the word of God. This is, this is the, of supreme importance to hear, to acknowledge the word of God, to know that God's people, they don't possess an image of him because it doesn't exist. They possess his word. And this is, this is what is the great blessing for them. And it comes from the teaching. It starts out here, the teaching of Moses. And Moses, he can't paint them a picture of Yahweh. But he can give to them the word of Yahweh. So Moses spoke to the sons of Israel when they went out of Egypt 
on the side. And this is where it happened. This is also where the first speech happened. So beginning in verse 46, it describes where they are as Moses gives this teaching, this second lecture, this second speech. On the side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Pur, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt uh, in Heshbon, whom Moses and the sons of Israel smote after they went out of Egypt. So it has a, it, it has a, uh, a deep meaning. It's an area, it's a place where these people would remember uh, that Yahweh gave them a great victory uh, after they went out of Egypt uh, to show them that they are a nation to themselves and that Yahweh is with them. Yahweh is guiding them. Yahweh is protecting them. So this is where they are and this would have been a, a, a memorial site really where they were. So the place where they were uh, adds, adds import to the to the words really that he speaks. And they possessed his land, the land of Og. Now this is the beginning. This is, it's talking about the Transjordan. If you look down on verse 49, across the Jordan eastward as far as the sea. Well, they're talking about here where Moses asks Yahweh about it and Yahweh said, yeah, it's okay for the Transjordan tribes to settle on that side of the Jordan. So this this is the first um, expression from Yahweh that you actually have a land. You are a nation and you are a nation who has a land. So I'm going to let you take this part and you can begin to settle, but you're going to have to fight with your brothers, the other tribes, until the whole land uh, is conquered. So remembering they are, they are receiving instruction on land that has been defeated against a, a, a powerful king. I mean, really, this ragtag traveling mobile nation that at that point didn't have a land were able to anchor themselves and to go to war against an established kingdom with an established military and, and soundly defeat them would, would make them have the confidence to realize that Boy, if he does this for us on this side of the Jordan, what's he going to do for us on the other side of the Jordan? It, it, it makes them very attentive to the word of God, but it also, um, it, it also supports their commitment. It strengthens their commitment to what they intend to do. As they, they're not going to be, they're going to say to, we've, we've already studied Joshua many months ago, years ago, but perhaps you can remember of how they, when they, when they crossed and they set up the 12 stones, they had, they had that, they had that big uh, ceremony of circumcision because they hadn't been circumcised in that time frame before. Uh, and they, they soundly committed themselves to Yahweh. And they, they just expressly said that they were not going to be the same kind of people that their fathers were. That they were going to be very serious as a nation before Yahweh, constituted through the Torah, uh, the law that came through Moses with the land that God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years ago. But it isn't just a Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob who became Israel and his 12 sons. It isn't just that anymore. It's a mighty nation. 
So the word is important to them. This is what strengthens them. If you want to, in some ways it's impossible to correlate the church and Israel. But in some ways there are some comparisons that, have been, that can be made. Not the least of which is that, of course, we serve the true and living God, just like they, we serve God, the God of the Old Testament, who has manifested himself in Jesus of Nazareth, and we're thus Christians. Uh, and we know that Christianity has come out of what came forth from the Old Testament, and it's all in the story of salvation that Yahweh has provided uh, for his creation. Uh, having, having said all that, um, the same is true with us in the church as it was in Israel. As long as we understand that the highest and most important thing of our relationship between who we are and who God is in our lives is his word, we'll be all right. As long as we establish his word as priority and seek to be obedient, then everything, everything moves along. It is when the so-called people of God begin to forsake the word that trouble really comes uh, into the camp. It was true in the Old Testament. And in so many ways, it's true in the time of the New Testament. So we can relate to this as Christians. All right, so he says, uh, the two kings of the Amorites who were on the, uh, the side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. From Aror, which is by the bank of the river Arnon, to Mount Sion, which is Hermon, and all the plain across the Jordan eastward as far as the Sea of the Plain under the waterfalls of the hill. Israel could literally say, Whatever land Yahweh gives to us, we will possess it. And no one will stop us from possessing the land. That was, of course, then and is, is still today, extremely and extraordinarily important that a nation possesses a land in which they can live, where they can prosper. And in the possession of that land, they are constituted to be such people who fall under these particular principles. Uh, such as our Constitution, such as, although you can't really compare the Bible to the Constitution, but they had theirs in the Torah. And this is what's being talked about here. Uh, the importance of them listening uh, to the word of God and being obedient to it. Now, what do, what do you do with the law? Three things. We're going to see it here. You hear, you learn, and you obey. Now, let's look at it. Moses called all of Israel. No one was left out. Everybody in Israel is responsible to hear, learn, and observe the word of God. Moses called all of Israel and said to them, hear. Now, uh, that, that, uh, that Hebrew word means to hear with understanding. And I'll tell you, what is built on that tells us that those who instructed people, the younger generation, for example, didn't just leave them with the instruction, 
but they drilled them in it and tested them in it because that's what the next word means. Learn them. Uh, to learn. That's a powerful word and it means to learn with repetition, with drills. You teach karate, for example. You have students and you teach them some fundamental moves or advanced moves, whatever. But you can't trust them with it. You don't test them on it until you have drilled them over and over again. It, the, the repetition weeds them out. People who get bored too easily, you know, they're gone. But you couldn't do that as an Israelite. Because this is part of your family. This is your nation. This is who you are. So you, you hear the word of God. And hearing doesn't just mean that somebody stands up and gives you a devotion. It means that they intend to drill you so that you will learn the word of God. And in hearing it with understanding and then drilling, being drilled on it, learning it, you would then observe it. And here it is. And observe them. Words of God, the, the, the Torah. Observe the law, the, those ordinances and statutes. So, uh, observe them to do them. Now that, uh, uh, that, that Hebrew word to observe means to achieve what is necessary to achieve but which could not have been achieved without the process of learning, which started with fundamentally and elementary, and elementally it started with hearing. Hear it, learn it, do it, practice it. This is what separated them from the rest of the nations of the world, word of God. It wasn't an image, it wasn't, it wasn't anything other than the revelation of the word of God to them. And the Old Testament proves that as long as they were obedient, and Moses gets to that here later on, we'll get to it, the importance of obedience and the terror of disobedience, uh, and they're warned all the way, all the way through a, a large part of his lecture, his his speech, they are warned. So it becomes it becomes part of life to to achieve or to accomplish the life that is learned through the instruction and the drills that are put into one's life. So when you think about the Old Testament nation of Israel, it's not just that they had a, a, a priest or they had some kind of uh, uh, observance with regard to sacrifices, whatever, festivals and feasts and all these altars and all that stuff. It's not that at all. It's not that it, it, is with, it lies within the importance of every peace of every generation understanding the importance of teaching and drilling the people, young people 
until when they become adults, the natural part of their lives is to observe, to achieve, to accomplish what has been drilled into them throughout their entire lives prior to that. So when they reach adulthood, it's just natural. You will observe this. This is what you'll do. This is, this is how it will be with you. You'll observe it. All right. The basis of this whole thing that draws them together is the fact that a covenant relationship exists between Yahweh and Israel. Yahweh, our God, made a covenant with us in Horeb. Now we'll think about how it's worded and this is the way it always is. Yahweh initiated the action. They didn't come before Yahweh and say, we want to be your people, you know, like whatever. Uh, we want you to do this for us. We want to be, but no. Yahweh came to them and said, I am going to be your God. You are going to be my people. I have given you a land. You don't possess it yet at this point, but it is your land. I've given it to, it's yours. Now you can lose it for a while if you become disobedient, but I'll draw you back to that land because it's your land. And then will come later the blessings and the cursings. And the center of it all, of course, is idolatry, graving it, worshiping other gods, which that, that opens the Pandora's box of all kinds of sinful um, behavior and rejection, really, of God. Yahweh, our God, made a covenant with us in Horeb. So it rests, it rests on the foundation of that covenant. And now we move into, into chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It is a personal and corporate experience. It is an individual thing, but it is also expected corporately, corporately across the nation, really. Not with our forefathers did Yahweh make this covenant, but with us. Now, isn't that interesting? The language of the text is this. It is a thing that never leaves us. He doesn't just make this covenant generationally for a single generation. He makes it, now that you're the generation, he makes it with you. You'll be dead and gone, the new generation, he'll, the covenant will be because of them. So it's a personal thing. Uh, we, all of us who are here, uh, of whom are here alive today, face to face, Yahweh spoke with you at the mountain out, out of the midst of the fire. And I stood between Yahweh and you at that time to tell you the word of Yahweh. For you were afraid of the fire and you did not go up on the mountain. Moses reminds them of how the covenant began. Nothing ever speaks out of fire. Only God could do that. So this is, this is a God thing for them. So he says, not to go up, and you did not go up to the mountain uh, saying, and now here the foundation will be God's acts of redemption for them. I am Yahweh, your God. Grace predates law. God chose this nation, not because they were particularly good, 
because it pleased him to choose them. Abraham, Abram, Avram, he was as lost as a ball in high weeds when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. He worshiped, we learn in the book of John, he worshiped a moon god. He had, he had no particular regard for some god who would reveal himself and would say, I'm the only God. There is no other God. He didn't know anything about it. But it was the grace of God that came into his life, predating the law, that called him out and he responded. God drew him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And then he said, I'm going to take you to a place that'll be your land. And so he came going somewhere and he didn't even know where he was going. He just trusted Yahweh. That's how it all started. Then they wound up in Egypt and there they became enslaved and it was impossible for them to escape the horrible lives that they were leading. Slaves, mistreated. Now, what happens? The grace of God. Before they had the law, they had God's grace. And it was God's grace that took them out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. It was the redemptive action of God when there was no law that brought them out. Well, we're going to stop there and we'll pick it up there uh, next time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that our relationship depends upon your word to us and our hearing your word that you give to us. Help us and bless us as we go in the way that we travel, that we might be faithful always to you. In Jesus' name, amen.